Folks, you may be seated. This morning, we have the privilege of having the word of God proclaimed to us from one of our dear brothers here, Steve Etner. God has been using Steve uh, for many years to reach and disciple thousands, thousands of men through the preaching, teaching, and his counseling ministry and his, uh, his books that he's written. Uh, he loves God's word. He loves seeing people uh, transformed by God's word. And he's going to share that with you this morning. So let's give him a big FBC, I love you this morning, and a big round of applause. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9, says we make it our goal to please God. I want to begin this morning by asking you two questions. First one, with a show of hands, how many of you would say, Steve, that is my goal. I want to please and honor God in every aspect of my life. Raise them high. Amen. Amen. Here's my second question. Again, by a show of hands, how many of you would say, Steve, sometimes I struggle with sinful thoughts and sinful habits. Come on, raise them up. Raise them high. Thank you for your honesty. There's a conflict there, isn't there? I mean, on the one hand, there's a desire to please God. But on the other hand, there's sometimes an overwhelming desire to please self. Paul words it this way in Galatians chapter 5, verse 17. He says, the flesh is in conflict with the spirit. And the spirit is in conflict with the flesh. They're contrary to each other so that you cannot do the things that you would. In Romans chapter 7, Paul puts it this way. He says, the things that I want to do, I want to honor God. I want to glorify God. I want to worship and serve my heavenly Father. Those are the things I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I don't want to sin. I don't want to disobey God. I don't want to dishonor my heavenly Father. Those are the things I keep doing. How many of you can relate to that? Well, the question before us this hour is simply this, how? How do I transform my sinful thoughts and habits, which we all struggle with, into patterns of life that consistently honor and glorify and please our Heavenly Father, which we all desire to do. I'm going to share with you this morning four biblical steps to overcoming any temptation in your life. And you heard correctly, any temptation. Four biblical steps to living in spiritual victory. Let's face it, folks. Life gets messed up when King Me is sitting on the throne of your heart. Can I get a witness? To become a godly man, to become a godly woman, to become a person of spiritual integrity, to be one who honors God every moment, in every way, in every aspect of life, ladies and gentlemen, we need to remove the I from life. Guess what? It's not about you. It's not about me. We need to get King Me off the throne of our heart, especially in all of the hidden places. Here's why I say that. It is impossible to glorify God in your life when you are in charge of your heart. Let me repeat that. It is impossible to glorify God in your life when you are in charge of your heart. Now, once you understand this next point, listen to me very closely. The problem that you are struggling with, the issues that you are facing daily, it's not your temptation. 
That's not the problem. The problem you're struggling with isn't drugs, alcohol, lust, porn, anxiety, worry, anger, fear, gambling. Those are not the issue. They are the the byproducts of the real problem, if you will. You see, the real problem that each and every one of us struggle with on a daily basis is a worship disorder. Who is sitting on the throne of your heart? You do what you do because in your heart you want what you want. You see, when King Me is sitting on the throne of your heart, watch this, everything you think, everything you say, and everything you do is going to have a natural bent towards pleasing King Me. So here's my thesis for this morning's message. You don't have to give in to your temptation. You give in because you choose to. You give in because you've allowed King Me to sit high and mighty on the throne of your heart and you do what you do because in your heart you want what you want. And I submit that the issue that's before each and every one of us, not just today, but every day of our lives, is not a need to change our behavior, but rather a desperate need to change our heart. You see, when you change your heart, your behavior will follow. Here's the main problem the way I see it. When you and I choose to keep the I in life, when we choose to keep King Me on the throne of our hearts, when we choose every single day to make it predominantly about self, you are choosing to live independently from Elohim. Elohim being the Old Testament name for God. You see it there? L-I-F-E, living independently from Elohim. When you keep the I in life, when you make it all about King Me, then you are going to live a life separate from God. We need to choose to remove the I from life, especially in all the hidden places. We need to live that life totally sold out for God. Can I get an amen? You see, when we do that, when we choose to put God first in every aspect of our life, when we remove the I from life, we will then live for Elohim. See it on the screen? L-I-F-E, remove the I, and you will live for Elohim. You will live for God. By the way, you do know that our chief purpose in life is to glorify God, correct? In Isaiah 43, verse 7, God says he formed us, he designed us, he created us for his glory. You see, you and I have been given the divine task. We have, had, we, we have a distinctive calling to live every moment of every day for the honor and the glory and the praise of God. That is your ultimate purpose in life. But hey, don't take my word for it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, the Apostle Paul says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 17, Paul says, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. We are to glorify him. I, I opened this morning with 2 Corinthians 10, 5, verse 9. Let me repeat that. We make it our goal to please God. But let's be honest. We struggle with that, don't we? 
on a regular, consistent basis, day by day, moment by moment, living a life sold out for God. We struggle with that. It's hard. It's difficult. It's a challenge. I want to submit to you that one of the biggest reasons why is because we are daily bombarded moment after moment after moment with our temptations. And every temptation you ever face demands that you choose to keep King Me on the throne of your heart and God off of it. Let me, let me share with you a, a key thought about temptation. What you see is not what you get. What you see is not what you get. Here's the thing about temptation you need to understand. That which makes your temptation so powerful, that which makes your temptation so irresistible is your perception of what's being offered to you. Let me explain what I mean. With every single temptation you will ever experience, there always comes a promise, a promise of relief. If you just give in to this temptation just one more time, I promise you, you'll experience relief from your frustration, relief from your stress, relief from your boredom, your loneliness, your sadness. There comes a promise with every temptation that if you give in just this one more time, just once, you'll feel such, so, so much better. Anybody can relate to that? Your temptation offers you the opportunity to ignore your pain, to, to forget the problem, even if it's just for a brief period of time. It teases you with the pleasures that life has to offer. But here's the problem. Your temptation will never actually deliver the promised goods. Temptation will always, always overpromise and underdeliver. It deceives you. It, it presents you with one beautiful, enjoyable, glorious thing. Give in and look what you can have. Only to turn around and hand you something hideous, unholy, destructive. What you see is not what you get. So ladies and gentlemen, when temptation comes knocking on your heart's door, just say no. Just say no. By the way, you do know that that phrase, just say no, did not originate with Nancy Reagan. It goes all the way back to Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, where Paul told, Timothy, or told Titus that the amazing grace of God teaches us that when we're faced with temptation, just say no. Here's what I want you to understand. Every time you are faced with a temptation... No matter the temptation, no matter the circumstances surrounding that temptation, folks, don't play around with it. Don't entertain it. In Proverbs chapter 5, verse 8, it says, don't go near the door. In Romans chapter 13, verse 14, it says, don't even think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Don't even think about it. Oh, come on, Steve, you mean I can't play around with it in my head? I'm not going to do it. But can't I just toy with the idea? No. No, because what you think will become what you do. But again, don't take my word for it. In Proverbs 23, verse 7, it says that, that as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. What you think becomes what you do. Proverbs 27, verse 19 says, as water reflects the face, or, or as a mirror reflects your face, 
So your life is going to reflect your heart. What you think will become what you do. Here's the next point I want you to understand, that with every temptation that you face, you are also at that very same moment faced with a decision. Do I give in or do I stand firm and fight? Here's what I want you to lean into right now. Watch this. Every response to temptation is an act of worship. Every response to temptation is an act of worship. You see, when you are facing that moment of temptation, either you're going to choose to give in to that temptation and worship yourself, or you're going to choose to resist the temptation, submit to God, and worship your Heavenly Father. Every response to temptation is an act of worship. But watch this. Every response to temptation is also an act of war. Every response to temptation is also an act of war. You see, when I choose to give in to the temptation and worship myself, I have declared war against God. Conversely, when I choose to resist the temptation, submit to God, worship him, I have declared war against King me. Only two choices can there be, pleasing God or pleasing me. In Genesis chapter 4, verse 7, God is speaking to Cain just before he kills his brother Abel. And here's what he says. Watch this. If you do what is right, if you choose to worship God, you'll be blessed. You'll be accepted. If you do not do what is right, if you choose to worship King me, sin is crouching at the door. It desires to have you. It wants to devour you. It wants to consume every aspect of your life. So you must choose to rule over it. You must master it. Folks, I want to submit to you that God is saying to each and every one of us in this room up in the loft and online, God is saying to every single one of us, you have a choice. You always have a choice. In Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8, Paul says, be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. Now watch this. If you sow to the flesh, if you choose king me, you will from the flesh, you will from that choice reap corruption. Choice, consequence. If you choose, if you sow to the spirit, if you choose to put God on the throne of your heart, you will from the spirit, you will from that choice reap life everlasting. Choice, consequence. There's an old saying, I remember my parents used to say, um, some of you may have heard it before, it goes like this, you can choose your actions, but you cannot choose the consequences. You ever hear that before? You can choose your actions, but you cannot choose the consequences. I like using this illustration. I, I can choose the action of placing my hand underneath a running lawnmower. Let me hit the pause button for a moment. How many of you agree that's a dumb choice? But I'm free to make that choice, am I not? I can choose the action of placing my hand underneath a running lawnmower, but I cannot choose whether those spinning blades lop my fingers off or not. Choice, consequence. But I'm going to challenge that old saying. I'm going to submit to you this. You can choose your consequences by choosing your actions. You see, I can choose the consequence of not losing my fingers by choosing the action of not placing my hand underneath a running lawnmower. Choice, consequence. 
Only two choices can there be, pleasing God or pleasing me. That's why I say it is impossible to glorify God in your life when you are in charge of your heart. So at each and every moment when you are facing temptation, when you choose King Me, folks, that's almost always an easy choice. In fact, would you agree with that? It's easy to choose in favor of King Me, right? Why? Why is that so easy? I believe in a large part it's because we're used to the mindset that says, I want, I need, I desire, I deserve, I have to have, I can't live without me, me, me. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 13, Jesus said, the way that leads to destruction, the path that takes you away from God, the, the king me way, is easy. Matthew seven thirteen. But I want you to understand this. Watch this closely. When you choose in favor of King Me, when you choose that easy path, now watch this, you've automatically chosen against God. You've automatically chosen against God. But hey, don't take my word for it. Up on the screen, you're going to see Jonah chapter 2, verse 8. It says this, those who worship false gods turn their backs on God's mercies. Well, that's a powerful verse. Don't lose that. Jonah 2.8, those who worship false gods, those who put King Me on the throne of their heart, turn their back on God. Let's illustrate it this way. Grab your Bibles and open them to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Now, if you have a hard time finding Matthew 6, here's what I recommend. Find Matthew 5 and go right. <laughs> and, and if you're a lefty, go to Matthew 7 and go left. This is why I'm not a professional comedian. Hopefully I bought you some time to find Matthew chapter 6. I want you to look at verse 24, Matthew 6, 24. I want you to follow along as I quote it to you. No man can serve two masters. Either he will love the one and hate the other, or he'll cling to the one or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon. You cannot serve both God and King me. Now, I want for the next three or four minutes to have every eye up here looking at me because I want to give you a visual illustration. I'm going to place both of my hands out in front of me, palms up. I'd like you to imagine, if you would, that in my left hand, I'm holding a large rubber ball, and imprinted upon that ball are the words King Me. Can you picture that? In my right hand, I'm also holding a large rubber ball, and emblazoned across the front of that ball are the letters that spell the word God. Our enemy wants us to believe that we're going throughout the day kind of like a juggling act. Me, God. Me, God. Me, God. And we kind of go throughout each day, every day of every week, with a little bit about God and a little bit about me, a little more about God, a little more about me, and we just kind of go back and forth. Me, God, me, God. I want to suggest to you that Matthew 6.24 paints an entirely different picture. So let me illustrate it to you this way. Instead of my hands here, I'm going to put my hands out like this. And, and for just a moment, imagine that my hands are in a fixed position. They cannot move. They're, they're stuck here. So as I'm looking straight ahead, 
I cannot see either hand because they're outside of my peripheral vision. Now, I know right now my fingers are wiggling because the nerve endings are communicating to my brain. That's what's happening, but I can't see it. So I have a question for everyone. I want you to answer out loud, please. Everybody together answer this out loud. If I want to see my left hand, remember, it's fixed. If I want to see my left hand, what must I choose to do? I have to turn to the left. Okay, makes sense, right? I turn to the left. But watch this. The very moment I choose to turn to the left, I've also chosen to turn away from the right. Conversely, if I want to look at my right hand, I have to choose to turn away from my left and look to my right. Now, with the understanding that my left hand is holding King me, my right hand is holding God, let's consider Matthew 6, 24 again. No man can serve two masters. Watch this. Either he's going to love the one. I'm going to worship and serve King me. And by choosing to love the one, I've automatically chosen to hate the other. I've turned my back against God. Or... I'm going to be devoted to the one. I'm going to cling to the one. I'm going to put God on the throne of my heart. I'm going to worship and serve and honor my heavenly father. And by virtue of doing that, I'm despising King me. I cannot serve both. Let me drive this point home. Let me, let me reiterate, if I may. It's vital, it's critical that you grasp this point. It's critical that this truth sets deep within your heart. Ladies and gentlemen, when you choose King Me, every time you choose King Me, you have chosen against God. Romans chapter 8, verse 7 says you are hostile to God. Again, that is why I say it is impossible to glorify God in your life when you are in charge of your heart. Okay, so we've established the fact that it's easy to choose for King me. We've also established the fact that with every choice, there are consequences. In Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12, it says that there is a path before each person that seems right. Going the King me way seems right but it ends in death. Choice, consequence. Now I want you to watch this. Choosing King Me is an easy choice. However, the consequences of that choice are always painful and hard. Can I get a witness? In Proverbs chapter 13, verse 15, it says the way of the transgressor is hard. The way of the one who chooses to disobey God, the way of the one who chooses king me over God is hard. It's painful. I want to make sure that you do not miss this next point. If you forget everything else that I say, please do not forget this. Up on the screen, you're going to see Proverbs 4.19. Look at what it says. It says, the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. You do not know over what you stumble. That bears repeating. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. You do not know over what you stumble. <laughs> Have you ever gotten up in the middle of the night, decided not to turn the lights on, and then regretted your decision? You ever stub your toe on a chair, ram your knee into a cabinet, slam your face into a closed door? Why did that happen? Because it was dark. There was no light. 
Watch this. As a result of you choosing to walk in darkness, you messed up. And consequently, you experienced pain and difficulty. Can we put that verse back up on the screen again? Proverbs chapter 4, verse 19. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. You do not know over what you stumble. In other words, folks, watch this. When you choose to put King Me on the throne of your heart, you choose to turn your back on God, who is the light of the world. You choose to walk in darkness. Do not be surprised when you stumble and fall in your spiritual walk. Do not be shocked when you give in to your temptation and you sin. Because when you walk in darkness, you will stumble and you will fall. Think about it this way. I've got a question I want to ask you. I'd like everyone to answer out loud. I know the answer is going to be obvious, but please humor me and, and shout out the answer out loud. Here's my question. When you put King Me on the throne of your heart, when you choose to live for King Me, whom are you worshiping? What's the answer? Myself. I'm worshiping King Me. Only two choices can there be, pleasing God or pleasing me. So when you choose to live for yourself, now watch this. When you choose to live yourself, when, when King Me is sitting on the throne of your heart, King Me has become your God. And in Exodus chapter 20, verse 3, God says, you shall have no other gods before me. Now I have another question for you. Again, the answer is obvious. But would you please respond by shouting out the answer out loud? Here's my question for you. Are you God? Watch this. When you choose to live for King Me, you have chosen to worship a false god. And that is idolatry. That is evil. That is wicked in the eyes of a holy God. I challenge you, right here, right now, examine your heart. Up to this point, have you been choosing King Me over God? Have you been worshiping a false God? If the answer is yes, then let me repeat a statement that I made just a moment ago. Don't be surprised when you stumble and fall in your spiritual walk. Don't be shocked when you give in to your temptation and you sin. Let me remind you, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, it says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it, what? All to the glory of God. And what does all mean? All means all, and that's all all means. So I've got another question for you. I seem to be asking all the obvious answered ones this morning, but so be it. Humor me, please. Here's, here's my next question. Again, respond the answer, to, with the answer out loud. According to 1 Corinthians 10, 31, how much of your, what, 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 fra, what percentage, let's ask it that way, what percentage of your day, even if the answer is a fraction, what percentage of your day can be about King Me? What's the answer? Zero, zip, zilch, nada, big goose egg. I am to honor and glorify God in every aspect of my life. It is impossible to glorify God in my life when I am in charge of my heart. Okay, so on the flip side, when I'm facing my temptation and I'm making, <laughs> woo, that was a wasp. 
I think the enemy doesn't want me to teach this next point. Wow. Um, When you're facing temptation and you make the willful choice to reject King Me, to put God on the throne of your heart, when, when you are making it all about God, folks, that's almost always a hard choice. Would you agree with that? It's hard to choose moment by moment, day by day, to put God first on the throne of my heart. Here's why it's so hard. In Luke 9, 23, Jesus said this. He said, if you want to follow me, if you want to come after me, you need to deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. Now, let's face it. It's hard to deny myself every moment of every day. Would you agree? Not only that, it's hard to not just deny myself, but die to myself every moment of every day. Would you agree with that? Would you also agree that with God, nothing is impossible? Would you also agree with Philippians 4.13 that we can do all things through Christ? Would you also agree with Romans 8.37 that we already are more than conquerors? It's not impossible. It's not impossible. You can do it. Living for God, choosing for God is not easy. It's a hard choice. But here's the thing. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 30, Jesus said his yoke is easy and his burden is light. In 1 John chapter 5, he said, my commandments are not burdensome. So I want to make sure you're catching this. When you choose to have God sitting on the throne of your heart, to be Lord of your life every moment of every day, you will not walk in darkness. You're worshiping him, not self. When you choose God to be on the throne of your your heart every moment of every day, you will not stumble, you will not fall, you will not give in to your temptation, you will not sin. In John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. Choose to deny yourself. Choose to follow Christ. Choose to die to King me and allow God to sit on the throne of your heart and you won't sin. Don't take my word for it. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, Paul says, when you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. All right, so, so all of this is great. All of this sounds good. All of this hopefully makes sense, but we still haven't answered the question, how? How do I transform those sinful thoughts and habits into patterns of life that are pleasing to God? How do I consistently make the right choices each and every moment that I'm faced with temptation? How do I not just remove the eye from life? How do I not just dethrone King me, but depose the king, keep him off the throne forever? Well, let me, as I promised with you at the beginning of the message, let me share with you the four biblical steps to overcoming any temptation. Are you ready? Now, I know the question just came out of left field, so I'll ask it again. Are you ready? Here we go. Step number one to overcoming any temptation. Read God's word daily. Read God's word daily. The first and most important step you and I must do on a daily basis, ladies and gentlemen, is to be in this book. Now, I want you to notice what I did not say. I did not say that to overcome any temptation, 
To live in spiritual victory, to get King Me off the throne of your heart, read a good devotional daily. I did not say to overcome any temptation, read a good Bible study, read a good Bible commentary. Uh Uh-uh. To overcome any temptation and consistently live in spiritual victory, to keep King Me off the throne of your heart, you must be in God's word daily. Now, inevitably, experience has taught me that when I say something like that, someone is going to misunderstand what I just said. And someone is going to grab their phone and send me a nasty text or call me later this afternoon or pull me aside after the service and, and, and try to correct me. So, so let me, let me pre, be preemptive here. Uh, devotional books, Bible studies, Bible commentaries, they can be good things. I'm not saying don't read them. However, what I am saying is this, that they all, although they are good, are predominantly filled with man's words. And guarantee you, folks, that the words of man will never give you lasting victory over your temptation. I want to submit to you that if you're going to successfully overcome any temptation in your life, you need to fill your mind with God's word. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, it says that the word of God is living. It's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. Every time you open your Bible and read it, study it, meditate on it, it penetrates to the dividing of joints and marrow and soul and spirit. It gets all that junk out of the way and it discerns the thoughts and the intents of your heart. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 says, all of scripture is inspired of God. And all of Scripture is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Why? So that the man of God and the woman of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So even though devotionals and Bible studies and Bible commentaries are good things, and they can, they can definitely help you as you seek to understand the Scriptures better, I submit to you that they must never replace the daily reading studying, and meditation of God's word. Can I get a witness? I firmly believe that over the last few years especially, something has drastically shifted in Christianity. I believe that collectively as a universal body of Christ, we have lost a respect for God's word. Now I'm not saying we're blatantly tossing it out the window. I'm not saying we don't care what God has to say. But I am saying that that we have developed a smorgasbord mentality when it comes to this book. That we approach our Bible, we, we treat God's word like we would a buffet table. That we'll open our Bible and we'll pick and we'll choose which of God's laws and which of God's truths and which of God's principles and which of God's standards that we like. That stir us. And we'll focus our attention on those and we'll chew away on those and we'll even try to apply those and and, and be obedient to those while we leave the rest of Scripture to the irrelevancy of Bible times. I want to submit that we need to be able to echo the words of David in Psalm 119, verse 72, when he said that the law of God's mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Another way to put it is like this. God's word is more precious to me than any pop, any rush that giving into my temptation and giving into my sin would ever bring me. So step number one, 
to overcoming any temptation and living in spiritual victory is to read God's word daily. Step number two to overcoming any temptation is to memorize God's word faithfully. Now, some of you may be shutting down on me right now. So I can just hear somebody saying, oh, come on, Steve. (laughs) Memorize? Are you kidding me? I I can barely remember my mother's birthday, let alone a memory verse. It's easier for me to try to remember my social security number, my credit card number, than it is a memory verse. We love our excuses, don't we? We're full of them. Uh, as Pastor Sean mentioned, uh, I've had the honor and the privilege for the last 10 years of, of traveling and speaking all over the nation and, and talking with thousands of men about being in the Word of God and studying the Word of God and memorizing God's Word. And you wouldn't believe the amount of kickback I get when I talk with guys about memorizing Scripture. The excuses that they hand me sometimes is, is just laughable. But it's hard to memorize God's Word, isn't it? How many of you would agree with that? It's hard to memorize God's word. (laughs) I have a little exercise I'd like all of us to do together. It's a two-parter. We're gonna have a little fun with this for just a moment. So I'm gonna ask everybody in the auditorium, everybody up in the loft, everybody online to participate in this. Here's what we're gonna do. Part number one, I'm gonna count to three, and I want everyone together all at once to shout out your physical address. House number, street, city, state, and zip. We're all gonna do it all together, all right? So you gotta do it loudly. You ready? Oh, you're not encouraging me. Are you ready? Here we go. One, two, three. 30440 Quail Point Drive, Granger, Indiana, 46530. Okay. Anybody forget your address? Here's part two. Again, I'm going to count to three. Everybody's participating. All at once, we're going to shout out our phone number, area code, and phone number. You ready? Here we go. One, two, three. 574-360-1141. Anybody forget their phone number? Why why are you able to complete that exercise? Because you're familiar with it. Why are you familiar with it? Well, because it has a permanent place in your memory banks. Okay, why does it have a permanent place in your memory banks? Two reasons. Number one, because you use it on a regular basis. Number two, because you understand the value of having that information readily available. Folks, I want to submit to you it's the same thing with memorizing Scripture. Daily repetition and daily use will greatly help you with Scripture memory. Run those verses over and over and over again. And then when you begin to understand the value of having that specific verse memorized to address that specific temptation, it will help you in keeping God's word on the tip of your tongue. In Psalm 119, verse 11, David says, I have stored up God's word in my heart. In other words, I'm memorizing scripture. Why? So that I might not sin against God. You see, folks, when you're tempted to sin, At that very moment, the Holy Spirit is going to bring God's truth, God's principles, God's standards, God's guidelines back to your memory. However, he will only do that if you already have it hidden in your heart. I have another question for you. Again, would you please respond out loud? Here's my question. Can you remember something you never knew? Now, let me ask it again. Think about this. Answer out loud. 
Can you remember something you never knew? What's the answer? No. Show of hands, how many of you tried that in high school and college? (laughs) Didn't work then. It's not going to work now. You cannot remember something you do not know. In John chapter 14, Jesus has some alone time with his disciples. He's preparing them for what's about to happen. I'm about to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be captured, tortured, crucified, buried. Three days later, I'm going to rise again. I'm finally going to get to go back to be with my father. All the disciples can hear is, I'm leaving you. And so they, they start throwing this whiny, hissy fit. And he corrects them. He says, no, it's necessary that I leave because if I don't leave, then the comforter cannot come. And in John 14, verse 26, Jesus explains to the disciples and to us in the church age today what one of the primary ministries of the Holy Spirit was going to be. Here's what he says in John 14, 26, when the comforter, when the Holy Spirit has come, he will remind you of what I have said to you. You see, the Holy Spirit's job in your heart today is to remind you of God's word to remind you of those truths of Scripture that will help you address your temptation at the moment of temptation. But he cannot remind you of that which you do not know. If you are not hiding God's word in your heart, then at that moment of temptation, you do not have the sword of the Spirit to be able to use to ward off the attack. So step number one to overcoming any temptation is to read God's word daily. Step number two to overcoming any temptation is to memorize God's word faithfully. Step number three to overcoming any temptation is to talk with God consistently. In other words, pray. How's your prayer life? In any given day, how often do you talk with God? And and when you do talk with him, what's the conversation like? What, What do you say? Let me share with you something that you already know. God is not a divine vending machine. Prayer is not about assuming the right posture, the right attitude, the right tone of voice, the right words, putting in the right coin so I can get something from God. Think about it this way. In that moment of temptation, when you're feeling tempted to give in to your sinful desires, at that very moment, we're engaged in spiritual warfare. Would you agree with that? So think of prayer at that moment as being your spiritual battle cry. In Psalm 61, verse 1, David says, Hear my cry, O God. Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. In Psalm 142, verse 1, he says, With my voice. I'm crying out to God with my voice. I'm pleading. I'm praying for mercy. By the way, do you notice what David did not say there? He he did not say with my mind, with my thoughts, I'm thinking my prayer to God. With my voice, I'm crying out to God. Imagine for just a moment that you are out on the battlefield You've been engaging the enemy in, in, in warfare all day long. You've been swinging that sword, and you've been, you've been doing good. But you're near the end of the day, and you, you've come up against a foe that is bigger than you, stronger than you, faster than you, more powerful than you, and he's pummeling you. He's just wailing away on you. Temptation after temptation after temptation. He's driven you to your knees. Your sword is now up in a defensive posture, 
And as he's wailing away on you, you're beginning to recognize the fact that at any moment you're going to succumb. Any moment he's going to gain the, the victory over you. You're going to cave. You're going to give in. I guarantee you that at that moment, you're not going to be in your mind thinking, oh, it would be so nice if someone came and helped me. I guarantee you, God, help me! In First Chronicles chapter 5, verse 20, it says that the children of Israel were helped in fighting the enemy. Why? Because they cried out to God during the battle. Step number one to overcoming any temptation, read God's word daily. Step number two to overcoming any temptation, memorize God's word faithfully. Step number three, talk with God consistently. And step number four, meet with an accountability partner regularly. Now I guarantee there are some people who just heard that and said, okay, (laughs) message over, we're done. Some of us struggle with the concept of accountability. We know we need it. We may even want it, but, but we tend to shy away from it because we see accountability as a small group of people sitting in a tight circle, airing their dirty laundry, sharing their failures for the week. Or maybe we picture a late night phone call to the accountability partner confessing our latest disgrace. And that is a part of accountability. That, that, that's definitely a part of it. But the problem is, I think, sometimes, too often, we think accountability is strictly confrontation. It's someone getting in your face about your choice to sin. And again, yes, that is a part of it. But I can't speak for the, re- for the rest of you. I'm going to be transparent for a moment. I don't like confrontation. I was waiting for my wife to shout out a hearty amen to that one. I don't like confrontation. I, I'd shy away from it if at all possible. I'll do it when necessary, but I don't like it. Anybody, I was going to ask for a show of hands. Anybody else with me on that? But Accountability is not about confrontation alone. Accountability isn't about fear. It should never be about shame-based change. It's not about staying away from certain sins that are considered to be taboo so that you can avoid having that awkward conversation with your accountability partner. The point of accountability is not just opening up to another person about your sins so you can get a slap on the wrist and a challenge to do better. Again, that's a part of it. But accountability, listen to me, folks, accountability should be a time of building one another up. It should be a time of encouraging one another. Yes, deal with the sin. What did you do? Why did you do it? What are we going to do to make sure it doesn't happen again? But then let's press on toward godliness. In other words, discipleship. Think about accountability as having someone who's helping you think through the ramifications of your choices and the consequences that follow. Think of accountability as having someone who comes alongside of you and helps you navigate the ditches and the potholes and the caverns of life. Think of accountability as someone who lovingly comes up alongside of you and grabs the hammer and the, ch- and the chisel and begins to help you chip away at the rough edges in your life. Sometimes they're hard on you, always in love, but always never letting you quit. In Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17, it says, As iron sharpens iron, So one man or woman sharpens another. That is accountability at its best. Well, there you have it. We need to daily remove the I from life. 
We need to daily choose to turn our backs on King Me and allow God to sit on the throne of our heart in every aspect of our life, even and especially in all the hidden places. We need to read God's word daily. We need to memorize God's word faithfully. We need to talk with God consistently. We need to meet with an accountability partner regularly. And when you choose to do that, not occasionally, not even most of the time, but when you willfully choose to dedicate and commit the rest of your life from this point forward to keeping the eye out of life, to keeping King Me off the throne of your heart, you will not stumble. You will not fall. You will not cave into your temptation. You will not sin. Ladies and gentlemen, God guarantees that. Amen. In just a moment, I'm going to close in prayer. I want to share with you something that most of you already know. And that is this. When we're done, you have one of two options. You can either choose to get up and go out that direction and head out those doors. Or you may make the choice to come down front. Our prayer team is going to be down here. They're not here to judge you. They're not here to critique or to criticize. They're here to pray with you. They're here to pray for you. If you have an, a besetting sin, an overwhelming temptation that just keeps pounding at you, keeps hounding you, and as you've been listening this morning, God's convicted you that the reason that you keep caving and the reason you keep giving in is because King Me's been sitting on the throne of your heart. And you want to dethrone King Me and depose King Me once and for all. You'd like someone to pray with you as, you as you make that commitment to God. I invite you to come down front. Wouldn't it be something? Wouldn't it be awesome if when, we, when I say amen, the majority of us head this way instead of that way because we want to mean business with God. Father in heaven, thank you for what you have taught us today. Thank you for what you, through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, are doing in our hearts. And I pray for everyone in this room, everyone up in the loft, everyone online, whatever it is that you are challenging our hearts about, whatever our temptations may be that we keep succumbing to, that we keep giving into, Father, I pray that you would impress deeply upon us we don't have to do it. We do it because we choose to, and we're choosing to because we're choosing to worship the wrong God. Praise you, Father, that you are God and there is none other. And that through you we already have the victory. Thank you for what you're doing. We love you and we give you the praise. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Thank you, everyone. You're dismissed.